The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, our next conversation looks into um, <laughs> property owners and what they need to do when it comes to dealing with tenants who are not keeping up with their monthly payments. Uh, Spiwem Timkulu is from Dineo Properties. Spiwa, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Hi, good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, Dylan Hirschop is a director at the Toyberger Attorneys. Uh, Dylan, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. Morning, Kathy and listeners, um, and thank you for having me as well. Look, I think the the quickest place for us to start, or the easiest place for us uh, to start with, is sort of the, the do's and don'ts that property owners have to uh, keep in mind when dealing with tenants that are not keeping up with their monthly uh, commitments. Spiwe, what are those do's and don'ts for you? Uh, I think the starting point, uh, Kathy, is always the the lease agreement, um, because that that sets the tone and the basis in which uh, the relationship between the tenant as well as the property owner uh, going forward would be based on. So it's important that when you sign your lease agreement, uh, you both of you agree on what should uh, then be the guide uh, for, for, for this journey that both of you now be embarking on. Um, you know, the issues of, of, of non-payment, they come uh, at the later stage, obviously based or, 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 or deriving from the uh, economic factors that we are now uh, faced with from time to time. So, but the starting point is always, like I said, uh, you know what? What the, the, the lease agreement should 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 then be uh, uh, you know looking into into those those issues. And and if there is no lease agreement, so what if we just have a verbal agreement? <laughs> Funny enough, in South Africa, you know, you don't have to have a, a, a lease agreement in writing. Uh, you know, as long as I'm I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making my place available to you and you, you are prepared to stay in my place and you pay your monthly rental, that, that constitutes a lease. Uh, but it's always important that you, you reduce that into writing uh, to avoid disputes down the line. So uh, you don't have to have it in writing, basically. Uh, as long as I'm, I'm giving you my place to stay in and you're paying my rent. And that that's constitutes an agreement. So uh, basically all I'm saying is that it's important to have that lease agreement reduced into writing where both parties would then agree on the terms and the conditions of, of, of how uh, that lease agreement, uh, you know, in, term, in relation to, uh, say, for instance, disputes such as non-payment of rental, what mm. should happen and how should how should it happen? Mm. Uh, right. it, it's important to set that tone. Dylan, hi. Um, yeah, I completely agree with something where in relation to the issue that we need to make sure that there's a proper lease agreement that actually now dictates the the rights and responsibilities of each of the parties involved. And I think another thing that's worth mentioning is, is proper tenant due diligence. Um, and what I, what I mean with this is a lot of times when someone wants to come and lease, they've probably entered into a lease agreement beforehand. So um, I always advise my landlord clients 
then ask for references, contact the previous landlords, um, contact the rental agents and, and discuss the conduct of these tenants and their behavior with them. Because it's important, I think, out of the starting blocks, you would want to understand the tenant that you're placing to make sure that they're actually furthering your interests as well when they occupy this property. And at, at which point do um, evictions become an option? And also, what do we need to know about how evictions need to be effected in this country to still be within the ambit of the law? Perfect. Um, so the, the, the starting point is a person can be evicted if they are in unlawful occupation of the property. And this is in terms of the prevention of illegal eviction from and unlawful, unlawful occupation of land act. So what the Pire Act, um, I'll refer to it as the Pire Act, what it dictates is for a person to be in unlawful occupation, they must be in firstly in breach of their arrangement with the, the landlord. So the, the most common example is no rental has been paid for a, a period of time. And I mean, this can range from one month to one year, whatever the case may be. And then secondly, that this right for them to occupy the property has been terminated. So this agreement, whether it's in writing um, with the, the tenant or whether it's a, a verbal agreement, it should be terminated from the tenant side. So the moment we've, we've done this, we're in a position to now declare this tenant as an unlawful occupant, and we can then now start with the eviction proceedings in terms of pie. Um, some interesting steps in relation to how the pie eviction would work. The first thing that we need to know is we need to give them 20 days notice of this cancellation before we proceed with an application to court. Um, this 20 days is 20 court days, so it's basically a calendar month's notice saying, listen, you are in breach of the agreement. You've not rectified our agreement. And as a result of this, we are now cancelling our, our lease relationship and you are to vacate within a calendar month or 20 court days from receipt of that notice. The moment that happens, we can start the proceedings in terms of buy and issue application to have them evicted. The, there is a, a part of the country's legislation that uh, sort of, and this is more when we're dealing with more issues of, of, of governance, but that you can't evict people without having alternative accommodation for them. What applies for individual homeowners? That's, that's probably the question that's on everyone's lips. Um, mm. <laughs> so it's a beautiful question. So basically the, the, the first thing we need to understand is that when we do these types of eviction proceedings, there's a twofold inquiry that the court will hold. The first inquiry is whether the person is in unlawful occupation. As I've mentioned, do they have the right to occupy the property at the point when we are evicting? The moment that that has happened, it is just an equitable for an eviction order to be granted. But the second inquiry, and this is probably the most important inquiry, as this will relate to when we can now actually eject this individual from the property and that is where they now consider aspects such as alternative accommodation. Interestingly enough, we need to understand why this alternative accommodation is so important um, within the confines of our constitution. It is because of section 26 which provides every individual in South Africa, whether that's a resident, a citizen, a non-citizen, 
whatever the case may be, with the right to housing whilst they are within the confines of the Republic of South Africa. Um, but we also need to understand that this right to housing is not a right to housing that we as private individuals have to provide to these individuals as this is actually a right that is provided by the government. So in, in, in plain and simple terms, the landlord does not have an obligation to provide alternative accommodation. However, and the Constitutional Court has said it in so much words, that although there is not a duty on this private individual to provide alternative accommodation, we must also be cognizant and understanding of the fact that alternative accommodation can take some time, and as such, landowners will unfortunately at some stages have to be patient with this alternative accommodation issue and whether the state is in a position to provide this alternative accommodation. Spiwe, we hear, you know, homeowners really struggling with this issue of, of evicting tenants, um, especially coming to a point where they're not uh, fulfilling th- their monthly obligations. What are the options that, that they really have, given th- the legal process that also needs to be followed? Um, because there are also many people that simply won't have the resources to, to, to take the matter through, through court. Absolutely, Katie. I'm I'm glad that you raised that uh, question up. Uh, We do have the Housing Rental Tribunal, uh, which is uh, a platform where, you know, consumers as well as the homeowners can take their disputes through uh, at no cost to both parties. It's a free service. Uh, They have offices throughout the, the country. I think there's, with an exception of only one province where they do not have uh, an office. But, you know, since the advent of COVID, uh, you know, these tribunals can either be held through, you know, electronic means, be it or Zoom, Skype, uh, even, you know, telephonically, where one can then present their cases, where they then go for, you know, at the tribunal, they will try and find a solution that will both parties an amicable solution that is to say uh, should it fail in the at the tribunal then they can take it for arbitration uh, and I must say this are this is a free service uh, through the Department of Human Settlement which is at no cost to both parties so I think that's one of the uh, avenues that uh, parties can then take their their uh, their concerns or grievances forward Mm. Should they have failed in, in, in you know, uh, seeing eye to eye on the issues at hand between themselves? Dylan, just to wrap it up then, what should uh, owners not do very quickly? What shouldn't they do? So, firstly, um, changing locks whilst the tenant is still in occupation without an eviction order, terminating um, services such as electricity or water, um, these these types of things I would not suggest one do, do because this would then lead to a spoliation which inevitably will cost you money as the tenant will then have the right to go to court to have these services reinstated. So I think the most important is that we don't try and take the law into our own hands or in some creative type of ways attempt to now motivate these tenants to leave. I think that's probably it.
Let me thank you both for your time this morning. Spiwam Timkulu is with Dinao Properties and Dylan um, Hirsop, who is a director at Detroit Burger Attorneys. It's time for your 11.30 news headline. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point. It's the 1st of August, so we are officially kicking off Women's Month in the country. And this conversation has been brought to you uh, by the Department of Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities uh, in partnership with the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture in the KZN province. Advocate uh, Mikatego Maluleke is the Director General in the Department of Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities. Advocate Maluleke, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Morning, how are you? I'm well, thank you. So we're kicking off Women's Month today. What is the theme that the department is going to be focusing on for this year? Accelerating socioeconomic opportunities and for women empowerment. That is the theme for today. Mm-hmm. For this month, not today, just for this month. Accelerating socioeconomic opportunities for women empowerment. And what are you really hoping to achieve by making this the focus? Um, normally, we focus on gender-based violence. And I'm not saying we are shifting the focus, but we are saying economic empowerment could also reduce the effect of gender-based violence on women. But despite uh, addressing gender-based violence, it's important for women to be economically empowered. Them being economically empowered also contribute to the development of the country and will contribute to the GDP growth of the country. And, and and so how are you hoping that, you know, by way of, of having set this as, the, as a theme, you will also be able to hold um, other departments accountable? Because, you know, you, of course, you, you, you sit in cabinets, you, you have the opportunity, as a department, I mean by that, you have the opportunity of finding out what is it that is being done by other departments to, to, to meet you know, this imperative of creating socioeconomic opportunities. I mean, one can think of basic things like the commitment that was made that 50% of procurement in government should go towards women-owned businesses. And something like that is still not happening. Yes, something like that is still not happening. However, there are uh, departments and provinces that are promoting that. Um, The president had pronounced 40% of public procurement to women, but also the Department of no, uh, National Treasury is uh, uh, developing a legislation on procurement in order to ensure that it integrates empowerment in that legislation. Women empowerment, the previously disadvantaged both women and men's uh, empowerment, but that is not the only thing. There are still areas where you find that a, a, a black people generally and women specifically are not involved when you look at because one of the sub themes that we're focusing on is so is the ocean's economy 
the ocean's economy, uh, there's a uh, maritime, there are other areas, uh, 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 even working at the naval is part of the socioeconomic uh, empowerment, but you find that black people are not participating and women are not participating. You find women staying in the rural areas where there's a river or some of them there's a sea that is running along, but they leave those coastal areas and go to urban areas because that's where they're going to look for a job. Now we're saying make sure that uh, women are involved in all areas, not just the male-dominated areas only, but even those areas which are white-dominated because in Ocean's Economy, you find that apart from Transnet, um, the most uh, big companies are white companies. So we want to expose women to those areas where they are not uh, normally involved so that we facilitate even training after this we expose them and then we facilitate training for women not just for employment but also women can start businesses to trade in those areas but also we're integrating even the AFC FTA because it would be easier for women in South Africa to trade with women in other countries even if they're in fishing they can be able to export to other countries and we link it also with BRICS South Africa is the chair of BRICS and August is the month that BRICS is going to be held. So we're linking all that together to say during this month, let's focus on the involvement of women in socioeconomic. And when you say socioeconomic, I focus on economic. We still address the issue of socio. Um, access to education, access to water, access to you know, all those things that will empower them socially, but also eradicating gender-based violence and femicide. When it comes to, you know, an integrated approach, is the department, have you given a, a list of of things to other departments that, that they need to be paying attention to, to, to make sure that you're all sort of moving in, in, in the same direction around this theme? And, and I suppose, you know, you want to, to move just beyond being a theme that is spoken about, but you, wanna, you want to give it meaning and you want it to have, there must be some practical manifestation of this theme with, within the work that departments are doing. Yes, the theme is just a way of ensuring that people report on what they're already doing. We have, in 2020, a cabinet approved a framework called Gender Responsive Planning, Budgeting, Monitoring and Evaluation. That framework covers all areas, gender responsive budgeting, national treasury, when people submit budgets and expenditure, they must mainstream, national treasury must make sure that they have mainstreamed women planning when the the planning commission plans on future plans, they must make sure that women are mainstreamed. When you look at DPME, when it does its monitoring, it must make sure that they monitor also on the impact of whatever program that government is implementing on women. So the theme just gives people an opportunity to be able to report or to showcase. On the 7th, we will be in Simonstown at the Naval Base because we want women who are in the Navy to be showcased, but also some of them to be exposed. Some women will even go into the ship, but also will go to the area where they build ships. But we want women who are involved in building ships to be exposed so that other women can see that these are opportunities that we can participate in. 
So the theme is not a theme standing on its own, but it's a culmination of all the work that everybody is expected to do. What do you think is going to be different about Women's Month this year? What have you as the department targeted uh, to make sure that we don't just go sort of run of the mill as from 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 a campaigning point of view, um, but that there is a tangible difference in in the lives of women. As indicated, that our focus is on oceans economy. Uh, not only that, we are partnering with uh, uh, the Department of Defence, where after this, young people are going to be trained on maritime. So it's a program as a department. I started as a director general in 2020. Ever since I started, uh, the way we do our events is no longer just a campaign. Even if it's a rally, even if it's a rally, there's something tangible that you need we want to achieve. For example, on the 9th, uh, we'll be at Kailicha in, 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 in Western Cape. Even though we will have something like about 5,000 people, it will be a rally which integrates exhibition so there will be exhibitions from higher education for example young people are able to apply for universities from that area uh, young people will be able to know what opportunities exist will be able to apply for NASA but also we bring small business DTIC NYTA and all those we also open a market for women because we give women a place for them to be able to sell to the community so we integrate all that because one thing as a department that we understand is that as government, you find departments saying we've trained women to be able to start businesses or we've given them grants. But you don't just end by giving them grants. You need to open markets because sometimes you train them, you give them grants, but they see, they, they, they sit with the products that they produce because there are no markets. So we also integrate the issue of market access into this event. All right, we'll leave it there for this morning. Advocate Mikateko Maluleke is the Director General in the Department of Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities. And that uh, interview was brought to you by the Department of Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities. Good morning, Kathy, again this morning. Um, I've read about this uh, a promise of social, social economic development for women. These are just political stances. They can be translated into practicality. I've been told two times that uh, my application for funding has been approved. When I go there to check uh, when is the funding, the documents are lost in Cedar Bloemfontein. So all these promises, Cathy, are always there. But when it comes to practicality, they look, who is your surname? Uh, then you qualify in terms of your surname. Thank you. Hello, Cathy. Uh, speaking to Unati in Cape Town. Oh, on this topic of yours, uh, of tenants not paying rent i had a similar problem like that uh, two years back because uh, i'm saying in cape town so i had to go to johannesburg uh, for a year and six months so uh, at that time uh, it was a quick thing so i didn't have time to prepare everything so i found someone to to take my place to take 
the place that I'm staying in for the year and six months that I'll be in Johannesburg. And the person knew that uh, I'm gonna be coming back after that after that time. But when I came back, it was a struggle to get the person out of the place because the person didn't want to get out of the place. Uh, it was a really really struggle. But then at the end, uh, what when he went out, she went out. Morning, Kathy. It's Justin from Cape Town here. Uh, I just want to say, I grew up in the Eastern Cape. I went to school uh, 2000s, and when when the guys came back from the bush, they were proud. Their families were proud. It was a pride thing. Yes, it, it was the initiation and becoming a man, but they were proud of it. Now, to me, it just seems more like a status symbol or a money-making scheme on the other end. It's lost that that meaning to the communities they might still think it's there but from what i've seen from the deaths from just you know generally people trying to make money out of it it's lost the actual meaning and and unfortunately then it just becomes a ritual that is costing people their lives and costing people money that it really shouldn't this is catchy this is catchy if you know these things of initiation schools and what 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 purpose do they serve what purpose do they serve because even those boys from when they come from those mountains they still don't have manners if you don't have manners you, you're not taught manners at home you're not taught manners it will be not learn it from these mountains all right those are just some of your whatsapp voice notes that brings us to the end of the talking point for this Tuesday morning. I know that we didn't have talking finance today. Brian is uh, out for the day, so we had to just move things around. Um, it will be back next week, Tuesday, so you can expect a return to regular programming. Up next is the book reading, Lessons from the Boot of a Car. It will be followed by the update.